to the sermon podcast of St. Matthias Anglican Church in Katy, Texas. Today's sermon was delivered by Father Jason Grote on December 10th, 2017, the second Sunday in Advent, and focuses on Holy Scripture. Let us pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you for this day. Through this appointed Sabbath day of rest and worship, we are fed. We are fed by your holy word. We are fed by your sacrament. We are fed by your grace and forgiveness. We are fed by the relationships and friendships we have with one another. We ask now, O Father, that thy Holy Spirit would help open our hearts and our minds as we consider and learn about the authority and purpose of Holy Scripture. This we ask through Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Today our epistle lesson is taken from Romans chapter 15, and our gospel is taken from Luke chapter 21. And in each of these, we are presented with the aspect of God's Word. In Romans, we're told that whatsoever was written beforehand was written for our learning. That through patience and the comfort or consolation of the Scriptures, we might have hope. And in Luke chapter 21, we heard Jesus say, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Likewise, our collect prayer. That prayer which changes every week and helps to express a particular thought or teaching each week reiterates the teaching of Paul from Romans 15 and says this, Blessed Lord, who has caused all holy scripture to be written for our learning, grant that we may in such wise hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them. Thus, in the church calendar, This, the second Sunday in Advent, is often termed Scripture Sunday. And today, on the second of four Advent Sundays, our fathers in the church would have our focus be on the Lord as coming to us right now. Not just in the past and the incarnation, not just in the future with glory, but coming to us right now. Personally touching and leading us through His Holy Word written. And if you think about the visual depiction of that collect prayer, you see just how personal, how nourishing, how formative the word of God written is to be. We are to hear. We are to read. We are to mark. We are to learn. We are to inwardly digest the truths of them. It's a full person experience, if you will. Our hearts, our minds, our bodies even a spiritual and soulful digestion. St. Paul wrote to the young Bishop Timothy these words. And if you have your Bibles, you can read these verses with me by going to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And if you're unsure of where 2 Timothy is, it's about halfway through the New Testament after some of those longer epistles like 1 and 2 Corinthians. This is known as a pastoral epistle. Meaning an epistle where the Apostle Paul was writing pastorally to another minister about the ministry. So as Paul was directing and encouraging Timothy in the ministry, as Timothy began to exercise the office of a bishop, of being an overseer, an episcopos is the real word, hence where we get the word episcopal. Paul thought that this point was extremely important. And this is what he says. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through to the end of the chapter. 
But you, meaning Timothy, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. In these verses, there are two points to consider about the scriptures. The first is what the scriptures are. And the second is the value of the scriptures. And that's where I want to turn our attention this morning. The first is devoted to teaching, and the second devoted to application. And the very first question I want you to think about is this. What are the scriptures? I mean, we have this book all neatly bound up, and we call it the Bible. But what exactly is it? And what do we believe about it? And for some, this may seem like a very rudimentary and basic question, but it's always important to refresh ourselves in the foundations of our faith and practice. In short, the scriptures are the writings of God. That's what the word script relates to in Latin. Scriptures just means the writings. Likewise, we call it the Bible. And that just comes from the Greek word biblos, which has to do with the plant papyrus. So when relating back to the fact that paper came from the plant papyrus, it would make sense that writings on paper would be related to that same word, hence the name Bible. But the Bible is a book that is different from other books, isn't it? I mean, I think we all agree on that. And that comes from what St. Paul says to Timothy. What did he say in verse 16? All scripture is given by what? Inspiration of God. The scriptures are God-inspired. Literally, in some translations, we'll say it this way. The scriptures are God-breathed. Just as God breathed the spirit of life into the nostrils of Adam and Eve in the beginning of creation, and just as God breathes life into the soul of man, so God breathed the words of what we call the scriptures. And that's why we call them holy scriptures. Because the source from whence they came is the one with the name holy, and whose nature is nothing but holy. They are sacred, set apart, different. Now, we know that God did not literally take a pen and write this book. God did not literally take a quill, dip it in some ink, and write these words. God didn't open up a laptop and type it on a word processor. And we also know that the Bible did not fall from the sky as a complete product. Nor did the Bible just get discovered buried in the ground somewhere. And someone happened across it and went, aha! Sort of like how the Book of Mormon is claimed to have been discovered. The church has always declared that the corpus, or the body of the scriptures, is the word of God written by inspired men of God. They weren't robots blindly recording words like stenographers, but instruments through whom the Spirit of God wrote the truths that God wished to reveal and record. All aspects of these holy men and their humanness remained. 
Thus the personalities of Moses or the personalities and the humanness of St. Paul and their use of grammar and types of words chosen, it's all there. For example, Paul is known for long run-on sentences. And Luke presents his gospel from the aspect or perspective of a doctor and so on. But even amidst these differences of men, the Spirit of God inspired men of God such that what they wrote is the truth of God. And because they're inspired of God, it means that the scriptures are also authoritative. The scriptures are authoritative because the source of them is not man, but God. And God, as our creator, is the authority, the chief authority in our lives. Now, it's sort of like a will. Actually, it's just like that. That's why we call these two parts of the Bible the Old Testament and the New Testament. That has to do with a will. A will and testament contains the wishes of the one who wrote it and the inheritance of those in relationship with, in our case, the deceased. And such a will and testament is authoritative and binding. And even though someone else, like an attorney, may have actually written the words down, the witnesses bear testimony that the words written are indeed the words and the wishes of the individual. So the Bible, although written by men, are indeed the very wishes and the very words and the very directives of God. And those who are in relationship with God and those who wish to receive the inheritance of God and those who own that name child of God must embrace the authority of the scriptures. The scriptures carry authority for the Christian. The scriptures carry absolute authority for the Christian. And what do I mean by saying that? What do I mean by that word absolute? I mean to say that there's a difference between absolute, or perhaps another term we might use, objective, and that which is subjective. Subjective relies on us. It relies on my senses. It relies on what I determine to be the case. It's like eating food. You ask my wife, you ask my kids, and they will tell you that they absolutely hate olives. But ask me, and I'll tell you that olives are awesome. I can eat them all day long. And I'll even, <laughs> and I'll even criticize them for being wrong in not liking olives. But no matter my protests whether olives taste good or not, well, that's really subjective to the eater. The eater is the one who determines what is or what is not true. That's when it comes to authority in life. When it comes to what we hold to be true and binding in our lives, when it comes to what we might say has a major influence in our lives, we tend to speak subjectively. What is true for me may not be true for you, and what's true for you may not be true for me. And there are some things like that. But yet there are also those things that we call absolute. There are certain natural laws which are objective or absolute, regardless of how we feel about them and whether we want to acknowledge them or not. For example, we might point to something like the law of gravity. doesn't matter whether you like it or not, doesn't matter what you may say against or for it, the truth remains that your feet remain firmly planted on the ground of this earth by a force that we call gravity. 
And unless something completely bizarre happens, or you leave the Earth's orbit, or you get into some sort of vehicle that is stronger than the force of gravity, the truth remains that you will experience the same gravitational pull as everyone else. So when we carry this over to the scriptures, to the holy word of God written by our creator, when we say that the Bible is authoritative and absolute, that means that the authority of God as expressed through the teachings of the scriptures are more important. And they override the authority of our own desires or our own private interpretations or our own justifications of actions. The Bible is absolute truth and authority regardless of whether we like the olives contained therein or not. And that's why it's important for us to see this simply not as a good book, but as the book. If we do not understand this to be God's word, if we approach it with a half-hearted attitude to what the church has taught through the centuries and what the Jews themselves believed and adhered to for even longer, then we're left with the, the words of the Bible simply being a work that is no different than the poetry of Edgar Allan Poe or the tragedies of Shakespeare or the imaginations of Stephen King or the musings of pick another author. As one Caroline Divine, Jeremy Taylor, wrote nearly 400 years ago, the word of God is all those commandments and revelations, those promises and threatenings, the stories and sermons recorded in the Bible. Nothing else is the word of God that we know of by any certain instrument. The good books and spiritual discourses, the sermons or homilies written or spoken by men are explications and exhortations, but of themselves they are not the word of God. Nothing else is the word of God that we know of. God's word is different. God's word is inspired. God's word is authoritative. And God's word is absolute truth. My beloved, I would not have you only be focused on this particular aspect of God's word. It is without a doubt important to understand those foundations of God's word and what we believe about it. But with that understanding and with that approach, I would truly have you be focused on what God's word contains, especially as it pertains to each of our lives. St. Paul told Timothy in that passage we read that the scriptures are worthy of reproof. The scriptures are worthy of correction. The scriptures are worthy of instruction. And then Paul says this, and if you have your Bible still open, look at verse 17 of chapter 3. The purpose of the scriptures. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. This means that God's word is not just there to teach us of truths that are theoretical, or that we can sit around and ponder with a good cigar or something. I mean, we learn certain aspects of God. We learn of certain characteristics of God's nature that are what we might deem to be theoretical or theological. But if you notice in the Bible, God doesn't spend all of his time writing theological discourses. Instead, he reveals the truths about himself through the stories and the teachings about how he relates to his people. 
the special revelation of God in the Holy Scriptures is God revealing himself to those whom he has called to be his own. And when we approach it that way, we're filled with all aspects of our relationship with God. We're complete. We're thoroughly equipped unto all righteousness. I mean, it's a love language, if you will. Oftentimes described and recorded in a marital context that reassures and teaches us a special perspective on who God is, what God has done, and what God promises for us. It's filled with all the things that will help us be complete. And so the scriptures give us hope. And that's important because we can easily drift away from a biblical perspective on life. It's easy to start looking at things around us and to understand them in the wrong light. We can see the brokenness of the world and we can think, I've got this wrong. We can get depressed and down and start to think that there's no hope in a situation. We can look at our lives and where we are and what we have or what we haven't accomplished or done and we think maybe perhaps that we've messed it up. And friends, there are stories of that all throughout the Bible. And that's part of why the scriptures are given to us the way they are. Some of the stories of the scriptures aren't there simply to be theological, defining God as a trinity, defining the incarnation, and so on. All important things. Some stories are there specifically from a human perspective of our relationship with God and with the world. The life of living with God isn't always so pretty. And we're not alone in that ugliness. All sorts of people living in faithfulness to God went through those same times. Naomi and her crying out in sorrow of not having a child. Moses lashing out in anger as he led God's people. David giving in to his primal affections as he beheld the naked woman Bathsheba. Job suffering such great losses in his family at no fault of his own. Daniel thrown into a den of lions because he wouldn't bow the knee to Nebuchadnezzar. Samson ignoring his godly vow and involving himself with a Philistine prostitute. Jonah trying to run away from God because he didn't like the fact that God wanted his truth taught to such an ungodly people. Asaph almost throwing his hands up in utter surrender because only the evil people seem to get ahead in life. A whole nation worried into an untrusting frenzy because ten people came back saying how afraid they were of their opponents in the promised land. Death, murder, idolatry, sin, sex, adultery. All that dirty, no good, rated R, perhaps even rated X movie type of stuff. All here in that thing that we call the good book, the Holy Bible. Well, friends, that's why that stuff is in the book. Again, it's not simply about defining God in terms of theology. It's not simply about revealing who God is. Those things are in there. But it's about living a life in relationship with God and living that life while we still have the tension between a life and world filled with sin and this great gift of being God's special and redeemed people. When you have that situation, God speaks. But God doesn't just speak, God shows. From heartache, to temptation, to failure, to sorrow, to selfishness, to ingratitude. To it all, God's word shows and leads. Why? So that you can be complete. 
We pray that God's Spirit has spoken to you and blessed you today through this sermon. If you would like to learn more about St. Matthias Anglican Church, you can visit us on the web at www.stmkaty.org.